Father, as we open up your holy scripture, continually reveal yourself to us through your Son. Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to your church. In the Son's name we pray. Amen. When I asked my daughter one time why she was excited about Christmas, she said, presents. Of course, that's what every kid looks forward to at Christmas. But that hasn't changed for adults either. We all, kid and adult alike, like candy in our stocking. Kids love getting toys, but adults love getting toys as well, gadgets or jewelry or things like that. But some, if not all of you, get gifts that you need. At least one gift. Things that you're not excited about when you open it, but you know, yes, I, I do need this. It's important, but not thrilling. Over 2,000 years ago, we got a gift. Israel and the rest of humanity did not want, but needed. The people of Israel and every other nation for that matter, and really all of us want world peace, uh, riches, majesty, an earthly kingdom, and a king who would destroy all of our enemies. But we all got a savior of our sins, a poor man from an insignificant family, an average-looking guy, a preacher of subjects that often offend us. We didn't get a gift we wanted, we got the gift we needed. The problem is that our, our minds are idol factories. People conceive of their gods as made in their own image. All humanity does this, creates a god in their own image, a god of our own liking. But oftentimes, we as Christians want Jesus to be this or that and not who he is. We want a Jesus who is all about us and our ambitions. We often want a Jesus who is all about us rather than us being all about him. A Jesus who is tolerant of our sins, not tolerant of other people's sins, but tolerant of my sins. But he was never tolerant of our sins. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. But we all need him for who he is. And we need him the way he is. But why do we need Christ? And how is he the important and the needed present? Well, this morning we'll be in the Gospel of John in chapter 1. And you're probably wondering, since it's Christmas, why wouldn't we look at Matthew or Luke, the only Gospels that have Jesus' birth accounts? Well, this morning we'll be in John 1, 1 through 18, because the Apostle John here reveals to us the deeper meaning of Jesus' birth and life. John 1, 1 through 18 is what is called the prologue of the Gospel of John. This introduction has somewhat of a poetic, hymn-like structure to it. And some would say that it functions as a directive to the reader or hearer of how the whole Gospel account is to be read and understood. 
And there's so much rich theology and poetic beauty in this text that we will consider today. This morning in John 1, 1 through 18, we'll see that Jesus is the Word of God, and is God, and is with God. We will see that the Word came to bring light and life to the world. We'll also see that, and that this Word became like us, that we may become like Him. He is our gift, and through this whole text we'll see how and why we are to receive Him as our gift. But first, the Word of God is God and is with God. Look at verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in this poetic tongue twister, the Apostle John shows us a deeper picture of who this Jesus is. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? We'll go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was... Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here, in the beginning, a word-for-word word, word word copy. But it says here, in the beginning was the Word. We know the Word as being Jesus, God the Son. He is the Word. In other words, He is the expression of the Father. He is the eternal communication of the Father to us. And look, in the beginning was the Word was the Word. Not He became in time the Word, or the Word was created. No, He, the Word, the Son, was, is, and evermore will be. Jesus has no beginning or end for that matter. He is the Eternal One. He is uncreated. He has always been. He was there at creation with the Father is distinct in personhood from the Father, but is the same being. Jesus is God, and He is also the Son. He and the Father and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons with continual, eternal relationship with one another, yet are one being. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet they're not three gods, but one God. So that's how the Son, or the Word, is God and is with God. Distinct in personhood, same in being. Now look at verse 3. It says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So every single thing, seen, unseen, every dust mine, every spirit, everything was created by Him, the Son of God. And you know, it's John's emphatic repetition here, so you can't have any doubt as what he's trying to communicate. He was not created, but is the creator of all things. So remember this when you have some folks come knocking on your door and wanting to give you some literature of their organization called the Watchtower Society, Jehovah's Witnesses. Listen, if Christ is not the eternal God, we have no gospel. We have no forgiveness of sins. We are doomed, and of all people, 
to be pitied. And we think about this, that Jesus is God, so you, can, you and I can have forgiveness of sin because only God can forgive sins. We also know that he, we will be raised from the grave one day because this Jesus has power over death and hell. Only God has the power to raise the dead. Jesus is the creator of everyone and everything, so he knows and loves us. But only God is the creator. And he will restore all of his creation, including those who are his, those who believe in him. So we ultimately can have hope. If he's not what John the Apostle says to us, we have no hope. Now, there was a popular cartoon a couple years ago that depicts a, a human-like dog. And he has a little top hat. And he's sitting at a breakfast table in his house or around him, and all around him is in flames. It's on the left, it's the right. Completely surround him. And he's got a cup of coffee in his hand, and he says in the caption with, a, with a, 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 a big eyes, this is fine, this is fine. I don't know if you've seen that before, but it was pretty popular in social media. The cartoon is used to describe a situation that gets worse and worse, and you have no control over it, so you just have to grit your teeth and say, this is fine. To have a visible but not genuine calm in the midst of chaos. Well, if you're in Christ, it's not the mantra, this is fine, that gives you peace in times of trouble. Or even the common phrase, everything's going to be all right. Now, it's the reality that our Savior and our God is the eternal one, the eternal sovereign one. And not a hair from our head will fall apart from the will of our Father in heaven. But, but all of us have so many worries, don't we? Not only in our personal life we have constant burdens, but when we watch the news and see what's going on in the world, it's chaos. Our lives are chaotic, and so the world is also in chaos. In reality, it's been constant chaos since the fall of man. We have enough on us each and every day to have constant anxiety and panic. But you know how we cannot lose our sanity? When we remember the sovereignty of God, when we remember the sovereignty of Christ. When we remember that this word of whom John speaks of right here is the eternal one who is the creator of some things? No, all things. There's nothing outside of his purview. He sees all things, he knows all things, and controls all things. Now, when I remember this, I, I can sleep at night. But when I forget this, which is often, I can't sleep at night. He is the eternal one. He is the word of God. He is God and is with God. But the eternal one did something in time, too. The Word of God came to bring light and life. Look at verses 4 through 8. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Life comes from Jesus. He is life and the giver of life, the creator of life. So that's why death is such a sad, sinful, and gruesome thing. Because it's, it's not natural. It's not the way things should be. And in fact, the, the most bizarre thing you will ever see in your life is a dead body in a casket. When you see a dead body, you see something truly strange. Why? Because you see the most evil consequence in the world. Something that should not be. Death is not supposed to be. A soul is not supposed to be separated from the body. But in Christ, there is life. And as we see here, this life was the light of men. But unfortunately, because of Adam, Eve, and all of us, the world is dark and filled with death. Sin, corruption, and death fill this present earth. But Christ is the light, and he will not be overcome by the darkness or death. This man named John comes onto the scene in Judea in the wilderness by the Jordan Valley, and he keeps talking about this light. He is a prophet from God to proclaim repentance to Israel and to point to, to the one to come. He calls this one the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John was not the light. He knew he was not the light. Prophets aren't the light. You and I are not the light. But like John, we point to the light, the only true light from God. We witness about the light, and look at verse 7. He came as a witness, he being John, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So why point to the light? So that all would believe in him, the true light. There's a problem, though. Well, first of all, people are afraid of the dark, aren't they? They're afraid of the dark. Why, why are we so afraid of the dark? Well, it's not that darkness in and of itself is scary. It's what could be hiding in the dark that we are scared of. Things hidden make the dark scary. But all that is physical darkness. People aren't so scared of spiritual darkness. Because in spiritual darkness, people can hide their evil from others. People hate physical darkness because of what's hidden from them. They love spiritual darkness because they can hide from others what is in them. They can keep people in the blind by their niceness and good deeds. But under every human being, there's a hidden darkness that will one day be exposed. For those of us who know Jesus, our darkness was exposed on the cross. For those who don't know him, some of it will be exposed in this life, but all of it will be exposed in the day of judgment. Every single sin and every rebellion will be dealt with. For those in Christ, it was dealt with on the cross. 
For those who don't know Christ, it will be dealt with on them for all of eternity after the judgment. You and I, before we knew Jesus, were in the darkness. And that's, and that's all we wanted. People in the dark love the dark. When in the dark, we can hide things. We can hide our faults. We can hide our responsibilities. And worst of all, we can hide our knowledge of the coming judgment. But then when we come to know Jesus, we know the light. We crave the light now. We want our sins exposed so we can recognize them and repent of them and grow more and more like Jesus. And not only that, but we want to see others come to know him. We hate it that others live in darkness. And you desire to be a bear witness to what Christ has done in your life. The light, Christ, has come into the world. He gave us life, eternal life with him. But how? As a phantom? As a spirit from the mountain? How? The Word of God became like us that we may become like Him. Look at verses 9 through 18. <clears throat> the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This light, who's the only one who can enlighten man, came into the world. Okay, so the creator, the creator, came into creation. He, being the creator and sustainer of all creation, entered into creation. All right, well, everybody, let's have a party now. Hmm, he came into the world created, or he created, but the inhabitants said, who are you? Imagine Henry Ford walking into a Ford manufacturing factory and none of the workers knowing who he was. Henry Ford? Never heard of him. Or Jeff Bezos walking into an Amazon office and the secretary saying, now what's your name again? Now, if you think that's crazy, think about what happened over 2,000 years ago. But not only did they not recognize him, but they rejected him. They did not receive him for who he is. 
He came not only to this earth, but he came to his own people, the Israelites. The people he made a covenant with at Mount Sinai. They rejected him. But why? Why did not only the Israelites, but the whole world reject its creator? Once we look back at verse 5, the reason. The darkness, the presence of darkness. You may look at pictures from space and see that the earth is very bright physically, bright blue ball. But spiritually, it is pitch black. Sin has brought humanity down, and humanity has brought all creation down with it. There's not a single person who is ever born except for Christ that is not born in spiritual darkness, who then acts out in spiritual darkness. That was all of us. Adam, Eve, all of us. We brought curse upon this earth. We all are blind. And God had to do something to remove this blindness. We couldn't do it, but God can. But look at this. Look at verse 12 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But, but to all who did receive him, which means to believe in him, he, that is Jesus, gave them the right to be called children of God. Now, there are only two types of people in this world, children of wrath and children of God. Those who walk in darkness and those who know the light. If you believe in Jesus and only in him, not trusting in so-called good works or any other thing or any other experience, but only in him, then you are a child of God, precious in his sight and one who will live with him forever. And then John continues this sentence in verse 13. Look again at verse 13. You right to become children of God. Who, these children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen, you are not a Christian because your parents and grandparents are. You're not a Christian because you were raised that way. You're not a Christian because you did great things in your life, good works. You're a Christian only, only because of the grace of the word of life. God, out of his grace, gave you new birth. You became a child of God by his will. When you placed your faith in Christ's death and resurrection, you, you recognized your utter hopelessness and helplessness. And because of this, we praise him. And because of this, we sing to him, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to you be honor and glory There's something else important about what the Creator did in coming into creation. Another aspect that of which if we are without, we have no Christmas. But most importantly, we would have no gospel. 
Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. God became man. God the Son took on a human body, a human soul, a human will, and he came to this earth and dwelt among us. He lived how we lived. He was a human in every sense of the term. And his dwelling with, with us was with glory. It wasn't a, a shiny glimmer. It wasn't pop and circumstance. No, his glory was that he perfectly reflects the Father. He is full of the grace and truth of the Father. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he wasn't referring to a physical image, but his life, his teaching, his work, all display the perfect character of God. And as we see in verse 15, John the Baptist knew. He knew this Lamb of God was the one sent from God, the one proclaimed by the other prophets, the one who gave John the Baptist his message. He knew. And later, as we see, the Apostle John would know. And John closes this section with a song-like teaching for us, a, a hymn, the closing to this hymn. From his fullness, which is a reference to his grace, he has given all who have received him, that have believed on him, grace upon grace upon grace, waves and waves of grace. The fact that he condescended to us, he took on flesh for us. He endured suffering for us. That is grace. Christ is the grace of God. Now, verse 17 through 18 provide not necessarily a good and bad contrast between Moses and Jesus, but a superiority of Jesus to Moses. Now, to the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, Moses was the highest prophet. The law of God was given through him to teach the Israelites. There was no Israelite higher than the prophet Moses. So to the Jewish believers who heard what John was saying to them, this was a huge statement. He says essentially, God's law was given through Moses, yes. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The revelation of God came through Moses. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. The law written came through Moses. The law of God came walking among us in the person of Jesus. He is grace. He is truth. He is the teacher and author of God's law. Not the recipient, but creator of God's holy word. He is also the redeemer of lawbreakers. He is the author of the law, and he is the redeemer of lawbreakers, you and me. In verse 18, he goes on again saying, no one has ever seen God, the only God, 
Well, Moses saw the glory of the Lord. He, he was a close friend of God. However, he never saw God in all his glory. He was a servant of God. Christ is a son of God. He is the glory of God. He is the perfect reflection of the Father. The one who is at the Father's side, Jesus, has made the Father known. And listen to this. God the Father is known only, only through his Son, Jesus Christ. And by knowing him, we become like him and that we are now adopted children of God with all the rights and privileges Christ has as the natural son. You know, one of the cutest things you can see is a little baby trying to crawl. They try to put one arm in front of the other and then they lose their balance and and fall. Sometimes they just end up kind of scooting a little bit, uh, trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. As a dad, you, you look at your child, and they are focused on the ground ahead, and they are, they are looking at you. But then you, you stoop down to the ground with them. You're no longer standing at a tall distance from them. You're, you're stooped down with them. And they look at you and, and smile. You guide their steps and their crawls only by condescending down to the floor with them, coming down to their level. Christ came down to us. God is not some distant foreign deity. He came down to us that we would be like him. He came down to our level to save us as his helpless people. And because of that, we never have to question the love of God. So when we, when we say, hey, why is there so much suffering in the world? Or some folks say, if there's a God, why doesn't he stop all this evil and suffering? But are we too quick to forget the magnitude of what God did? God the Son condescended to us. He exchanged his glory to take on flesh, take on a soul, to be born of a poor family, to live in the low-class region of Palestine, to suffer for us, to be raised in glory. And get this, he's coming again to do away with death, suffering, pain, and sin. So when you think about the awfulness of suffering, which is real and not trivial, let's look to Christ. Look to his suffering life. Look to his cross. The experiential weight of suffering fades when we meditate deeply on the cross of Christ. His suffering is his glory and our glory. Suffering is the the foyer to the house of glory. So listen, if you are here today and you've never trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, I tr- uh, receive him today. He died for our sins. Our sins separate us from a holy God, but he paid our, for our sins on the cross. And he rose as only one who is fully man and fully God could do. And if you confess your sin and believe in his death and resurrection alone, you will be saved and you will be a child of God.
with all the rights and privileges that Christ has as a son. So please call upon him today. John's prologue, his introduction here in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 18, shows us that the word of the Father came as light and darkness to the world he created by becoming like one of us so that we may become like him. He came as light into the darkness to the world he created and became like one of us so that we may become like him. We become like him when we receive him. Like him, that too, we become children of God, not in the way that he is the eternally begotten son, but as adopted children of God. So we must receive him for who he is and what he has done. So this Christmas season, focus your mind and heart on what our Lord did for over 2,000 years ago and set your hope on what he is going to do in the future. Through faith in Christ, we are children of God, no longer children of wrath. We're out of that category now, but now his beloved children. All that Christ has, we have too. We have his inheritance. We get his gift that he earned, not us. He came down to us to bring us to God, and we gained at his, his expense. When we remember this, we begin to reflect on all of life. Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel affects all of our life. When you give gifts to your children and your grandchildren, remember the reception of God's gift to you, Jesus, the Son of God, when you received him as God's gift. When you receive gifts as children, remember God's gift to us, Jesus, the Son of God. As we give and receive this this month, let us remember God's giving and our glorious receiving. And especially, especially when we open that gift, it's not thrilling, but it's something you know you need. When you open that gift, remember the gift we needed, God becoming like one of us, his suffering death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sin through him. He is the gift that doesn't end up stuffed in the back of a closet. He won't be put up at the street in the rest of, like the rest of bulk trash in a couple years of use. No, he is the eternal one. He is the eternal gift from heaven for us. Let's pray. Christ, you purchased us by your blood. We are your people because of what you did and continue to do. You came to where we are, that we may eternally be where you are. And Lord, as we get ready to take part of our frequent reminder of the Word becoming flesh, we come to you admitting our own unworthiness to partake of this holy meal. But we come only through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we praise you for your mercy and grace and ask you that through this bread and cup to bless us with your special presence. Amen.